I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to John chapter 16. We've been teaching uh, in these Wednesday night services for a long time, a number of weeks. I don't know exactly how long we've been going, but we've been talking about the spirit of man. And then we've also been talking about the Holy Spirit. We've identified what the Bible has to say about the spirit of man. We've used as, um, uh, well, we've gone even further. We've talked about how to be led by the Spirit of God to, to some degree. I don't think there's any way you could exhaust the subject no matter how long you stayed on it. But um, uh, we've uh, also identified some things from the, from the Scripture about how we can develop a sensitivity of spirit so that we can be led by the Holy Ghost. And that seems to be the place that I've gotten stuck because it's, um, uh, I keep thinking, all right, I'm, I'm through this series, I'll go on to something else, but it seems like week after week the Lord keeps dealing with me about something that, that has to do with sensitivity of spirit so that we know how to be led by the Holy Ghost. Now, we'll remind you of some of our uh, text scriptures, those scriptures that we've used, uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Other translations say it's the lamp of the Lord. One translation, modern translation, says it's the searchlight of the Lord. It literally means, whichever way you want to translate it, whichever, um, whichever you prefer, it literally means God uses your spirit to enlighten you, to bring you information, to bring you revelation, to bring you knowledge. Then in, uh, in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us a couple of in- bits of information about being led by the Spirit. Romans eight fourteen says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now verse 16 tells you how He's going to lead you. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now in, in John chapter 16, I want you to notice a verse of Scripture. We looked at this earlier in the, in the series and, and spent a little bit of time with it, but I want to look at it a little bit more in depth this evening with something the Lord put on my heart. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus is talking about the Holy Ghost. Now, notice before we read verse, 16, or verse 13, notice verse 7 that Jesus said it's better for them that He goes away. I'm going to read verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient. That means better, helpful, more advantageous. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. Now, Jesus obviously is talking about the result of the new birth. He's saying it's better for you that I go away because if I don't go away, you can't be born again. Everybody that is born again is born again by the Spirit of God. Their spirit is made new or recreated by the Holy Spirit. So we know very specifically that Jesus is talking about the benefits or the results of, of making, uh, accepting Him as Lord and Savior, the results of salvation. But that's not what He talks about. He doesn't say, it's better for you that, that I go away because if I don't go away, the Comforter can't come and you can't get saved. That's not what He speaks of. Now, these are all byproducts of being saved, but He emphasizes certain aspects of the Holy Spirit, certain works that the Holy Spirit is supposed to do, is destined to do, is ordained of God to do. I want to say it that way because I want you to understand. God has commanded the Holy Ghost to do this for you. See, it's so easy for us to get in, in, in uh, introspective and to get to looking at things like, well, okay, if I just do everything just right and if I don't mess up and, and all these other kinds of stuff, please understand, folks, this is what God sent the Holy Ghost to do for you. It's not like you've got to try to make this happen. It happens. You've just got to recognize it and take part in it. Be a partaker in the things that He gave you to do. So He talks about... The Holy Spirit coming, verse 13, He said, Howbeit when He, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. Now notice He calls Him the Spirit of truth, and He calls Him the Comforter. This word comforter in the Greek means seven different things. It means helper, it means advocate, it means strengthener, it means standby, it means intercessor, and I maybe have left something else out too. In other words, He's saying the Holy Ghost will be everything that is to you. Everything that you'll ever need. Everything you could ever imagine, the Holy Ghost is that to you. That's the one that's living on the inside of you. Now, the first thing Jesus says about this Holy Spirit, this comforter, this advocate, this strengthener, this standby, He calls Him the Spirit of truth and says He'll guide you into all truth. Now, what do you think Jesus is talking about when He uses the word truth? See, nowadays we live in a world where truth is relative. Well, it's not relative to Jesus. It's not relative to God. The truth has always been the truth and it always will be the truth. God never changes. So what God calls the truth is always going to be the truth as far as He's concerned. No matter what new idea or philosophy or smart thing that people down here come up with. 
What does he mean when he says truth? Well, in John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said when he was praying to the Father, he said, sanctify them. Specifically, he identified his disciples and all those that would believe on him, Jesus, through his disciples' words. In other words, that means you and me. Because the church was built or founded on the, 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 built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That means everybody that's saved today is saved because of the work or the word of the, of the apostles and the prophets. The ones that were with Jesus. Therefore, when he's praying not only for his disciples, but all those that would come after and believe on him, that's us. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'm sorry. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So when Jesus is talking in John chapter 16 and verse 13 about the spirit of truth and guiding you into truth, what do you think he's talking about? Is it possible he could mean something else? How could it be possible? The truth couldn't mean one thing in one place when Jesus uses the word and something else in another place and God be consistent. So where he's saying here, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. That's saying two things that you need to recognize. First of all, the Holy Ghost is called the spirit of the word. The spirit of truth, if the word is truth, that means the spirit of truth is the spirit of the word. Secondly, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into the word. Let's keep reading. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Another translation says all reality. Either one are good, but they both have to do with the word, the reality of the word, not the reality of things here on the earth, not the reality of men's ideas and thoughts but the reality of God's thoughts, the reality of God's Word. He will guide you into all truth, the Word, the reality of God. For, here's why, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Thank God he speaks. What does he speak? He speaks what he hears from the Father. That shall he speak, that which he hears, that shall he speak, and, and, and. He speaks He guides you into reality. Now, how is He going to guide you into reality? By speaking to you. What does He mean speaking to us? He's talking about the inward witness. He's telling us the same thing that that John told us in in chapter 8 of Romans. He's going to guide you. He's going to speak to you by the inward witness. He speaks to you by the inward knowing, that which you know on the inside, not which you hear with your natural ears. Whether you know it or not, hearing with the ears of your spirit is being impressed in your spirit. That is spiritual hearing. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on the five physical senses. It's based on the impression of your spirit by the greater one, the spirit of truth. So what's he going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to speak what he hears from the Father. Obviously, that's the truth. Obviously, anything God would say would be God's word. And then notice the next thing that Jesus says about the Holy Ghost. Here's one reason that Jesus identifies, specifically the first and foremost reason that Jesus identifies why it's better for us that He went to the Father. He'll show you things to come. He'll show you things to come. You know, it's a... uh, Well, I'll I'll use myself for an example on this rather than, than make fun of other people, which would be easier to do in this respect, and you'll see what I mean. When we were in Bible school, uh, back in 1980, 81, 82, around there, where I was working with Brother Hagen, um, we heard Brother Hagen tell a story about, uh, or tell the, the experience that he had where the Lord spoke to him about different phases of his ministry. Brother Hagen had been uh, pastoring for 12 years, and the Lord spoke to him about leaving the church that he was in and not pastoring anymore. He had spoken to him one other time. He told him the last church that he was in, he said, this will be the... Uh, this is where I want you to go and, and be the pastor, and that's the last church you'll ever pastor. Where Brother Hagin said for, for several years, he didn't know if that means he's going to die after he pastors there. Maybe he's going to pastor there forever. Maybe he's going to pastor a short time and die. He didn't know what any of that meant. All he had was a little bit of information. Then a couple of years afterwards, after he had been there for uh, 18 months, I think it was, uh, the Lord spoke to him again. He said, I want you to leave the church and go out into the, to the minister, onto the, the mission field. Uh, or not the mission field. I want you to go out on the field and teach. Well, Brother Hagen had, uh, during that 18 months at, the, at that last church that he was in, he had, uh, uh, God had shown him something about the teaching ministry, and he didn't have it before then, but God gave it to him, and he said it dropped into him. He used the example of uh, just like if you go to a um, um, 
vending machine and you put your quarter in or whatever coin you're using and you hear it go drop down into the bottom and, and, and click. He said that's just exactly what happened, him with, happened to him with the teaching gift. He said he knew instantly, now I can teach. And he proved it out. He started uh, uh, teaching just some of the, the, in a prayer group, started teaching a small group of women in, um, um, uh, in his church. And, and before long, it grew. And all over town, everybody was knowing. Everybody was coming out, leaving, leaving work, closing the office, and shutting down the shops to come hear him teach. Well, anyway, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to leave your church and go out onto the field and minister. Well, at that point in time, nobody was out on the field except evangelists. He said, uh, he, you know, Brother Hagin said, you know, nobody's going to want me to come teach. I, you know, what, what are you talking about? And so anyway, the Lord told him and spoke to him and he said, it's time for you to step over into the first phase of your ministry. Well, Brother Hagin said that he was shocked to hear that. He said, Lord, I don't understand what you mean by that. I've been pastoring for 12 years. And you're telling me that I'm just going to step over into the first phase of my ministry? He said, yeah, the 12 years of pastoring was preparation, but I never called you to do that. I allowed you to do it so that you could be prepared for that which I have you to do. He said, many people live and die. Many ministers live and die and never enter into the first phase of their ministry. Well, as a Bible school student, you're hearing that, and I'm a 25-year-old kid and think I'm grown up, but wasn't. Didn't know it then, but I wasn't. So I'm hearing things like that, and boy, that kind of stuff gets my attention because I'm thinking, I don't want to waste 12 years. Lord, I'm going to step over into the first phase of whatever you've got for me. If there is anything you've got for me, didn't know at the time. And so anyway, that became a real hot topic for us. And over the years, Brother Hagin had shared that the Lord had spoken to him about different phases of his ministry. He went from that first phase of ministry where he was teaching to another phase of ministry. God had a different work, a higher level of, of ministry upon him and an anointing that, that went with it. Went over into the third phase of ministry. Now, one of the visions that Brother Hagin had, the Lord told him that he was stepping over into the third phase of his ministry. And then after that, after he was there for a period of time, there would be the fourth phase of his ministry. Well, at the time that I was around Brother Hagin, he was in phase three. And so, man, I mean, all of us real wise, spiritually mature Bible school students and graduates, we'd get around and we'd talk about Brother Hagin's fourth phase of ministry. Man, you never heard such wisdom come out of a group of people in your life. We're talking about Brother Hagin's fourth phase of ministry. Well, by the time uh, 1984 came around and, uh, and the Lord uh, directed Beth and I to leave and go out on, uh, in, in some itinerant ministry ourselves, Brother Hagin hadn't stepped over into the fourth phase of his ministry. And I've got to tell you, that was one of the things that made me think, maybe I shouldn't go. I I've got to be here when Brother Hagin steps over into his fourth phase of ministry. And uh, we got into a meeting up in upstate New York in a Methodist church and started ministering. Uh, uh, they advertised it as times of refreshing. Now, Methodist church shouldn't know what times of refreshing are, you wouldn't think. They don't, I wouldn't expect, I didn't expect that they understood that that had to do with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and, and that type of thing, but I, I, I just really had a witness in my heart. Well, if they're going to advertise it as times of refreshing, I might as well tell them what it is. So I went into this Methodist church and started preaching the Holy Ghost and people started getting saved. People started getting filled with the Holy Ghost. All of the, the board members and, and Methodist church run on boards and that kind of stuff. All the board members got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now the pastor was filled with the Holy Ghost, but nobody knew it. And his pastorate was coming up. His time, you, you only have in the Methodist church, you only have two or three years, whatever it is, terms. And so the board was going to have to decide whether or not they're going to keep him or boot him out, send him somewhere else, get another pastor. And so this guy told me after the week was over, he told me, he said, well, I knew that I didn't have the confidence of the board that they're going to vote me out the way things are going. So I thought, I'm going to get somebody in here that's spirit-filled and let them take their best shot. <laughs> well, that happened to be us. So we went into this church, and I mean, we were having, we were having the closest thing to a revival I've ever been in. People were getting saved. These, uh, these board members, men in the church, businessmen in the church were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. It was just a wonderful, wonderful week. Well, at the, toward the end of that week, uh, I don't remember if it was Beth or I, one of us talked to somebody that was back in Tulsa. Just so happened that Brother Hagin was having one of his seminars that week, and we heard the news. Now, folks, please understand, this, this may not mean anything to you, but it was, this was big for us. We've just had the best week of ministry, seen the best move of God, the greatest move of God that I've ever personally been involved in where, God, where I had something to do with it, you know, where God used me. I've seen a lot greater things than Brother Hagin and other folks, but this was something God was using me, you know. And we heard on that phone call 
that this was the best seminar, the best move of God that had ever happened at Raymond Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That Brother Hagen had stepped over into his fourth phase of ministry. I, I'm telling you the truth. I wanted to shut the meeting down and fly back to Tulsa as fast as I could to figure out what was going on there. Now that shows you my level of spiritual maturity at the time. Here God's using me to help people and I don't have a clue what's going on. Now here's the thing I want you to understand, folks. A sign of spiritual immaturity is where people get caught up in the spectacular and the spooky stuff. I've had people come and I, I could stand here all night and tell you stories of what people have come to tell me. Pastor Mike, you know, I believe the things were different when Adam and Eve were here on the earth. I believe Adam could fly. Yeah. Okay. And how's that going to help anybody? I mean, first of all, you can't prove it. But even if you're right, so what? What's that going to do for you? I've had people say things like, uh, and, and, and we don't recognize that I'm, I was as guilty as anybody in the early days when I got around Brother Hagen. I said so many stupid things that I wish I could take back. I only hope that now that he's in heaven, he's forgotten it, you know. <laughs> but I've had people come up and say, you know, Pastor Mike, where Jesus laid hands on the guy and then asked him if he could see anything, and he said he saw trees, a menace trees walking around, and then he had to lay hands on him again. He said, I think that guy was seeing over into the Spirit. And he still wanted his eyesight? Are you kidding me? You see, people get caught up into all this stuff, this weird stuff, this spooky stuff. And that's where charismatic, the charismatic section of the church has gotten a bad name. Because instead of growing up and people maturing and recognizing what really counts, recognizing that the Holy Ghost is not going to guide you into foolishness, He's going to guide you into all reality. He's going to guide you into truth. He's going to guide you into things that bring you into victory in your life and help you be a blessing to somebody else. Now, folks, I want to tell you some things, three things specifically that the Holy Ghost um, witnessed to my heart to share with you about. Things that God will lead you in. I am so very conscious because of some things that I mistook and things that I misunderstood when I was hearing Brother Hagin talk about things. And Brother Hagin would use examples. He would use stories where God would absolutely just, I mean, best stories that I've ever heard, best examples I've ever heard. I don't have examples to, to match his. That's why I use a lot of his stories. And his examples, I mean, over 50 and 60 years of ministry, I mean, he, he pared those examples down. I mean, they, they really mean something. They witness to your heart and they, they, they teach and they instruct and they illuminate the Word of God. Well, the flip side of that is when those examples have to do with spectacular results in many cases, then people get lost on how do I hear from God today? How do I hear from God at work? I don't need somebody to be raised out of a wheelchair or, or, or off of a deathbed or, or an instant uh, blindness instantly healed. How do I relate to the leading of the Holy Ghost in my own life? And so all, literally every time, every time that I'm teaching on being led by the Holy Ghost, I've always got that witness on the inside. Keep it simple where people live. Don't set some bar up here and tell some extreme example, but keep it simple where people live. And that's what I believe the Holy Ghost has witnessed to my heart about, uh, about sharing with you tonight. I was um, first and foremost, and, and, and this isn't, this isn't going to be some deep, wow, never heard that before type thing. But those are not the things that put you over in life. The things you've never heard before are not the things that, that bring you into victory. It's the things that you have heard before that become real to you. Those are the things that bring you into victory. So I'm, I'm driving down the road yesterday afternoon. And, uh, and the Lord witnessed something to my heart. The Holy Ghost led me. He guided me into the truth of God's Word in a story that I've read thousands of times. Thousands of times. But He showed me something that I've never seen before. Let me show you how the Holy Ghost will guide you. Turn with me back to uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. You know all that stuff that, uh, that we do and, and try, to, try to talk about the deep things of God? Folks, anytime somebody starts talking to you about the deep things of God, don't waste your time. People that talk about or think they're talking about the deep things of God wouldn't know the deep things of God if they fell in them. Deep things of God are not for spiritual babies. And every bit of that stuff is an attempt for us to show that we know the Word more than somebody else. I saw. Now, this is not a mistake I ever made. 
I saw people that were just, just brand new out of Bible school that thought they knew the word better than Brother Hagin, who had been in ministry for 55 years at the time. They would be the ones to try to step forward in a meeting and, and discern the moving of the Holy Ghost. And I'm thinking, who in the world do you think you are? I mean, Brother Hagin's in there. And they would fall on their face every time. Now, folks, you remember how the Bible says that when you come to a great man's banquet, don't go try to take the best seat because then you're going to be shown up in front of everybody else? This happens every time we try to prove that we know something more than somebody else. You're going to fall on your face every time. It's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Who cares who knows the most? I'd be perfectly happy for you to know more than me. I'd be happy for everybody in the church to know more than me as long as God's given me something to teach you. As long as God gives me something to help you and bless you with, what do I care? Why should we care? But see, immaturity, immature Christians think it's all about knowledge. It's not. It's about applied knowledge. Knowledge is good, but if you're not putting it in practice, it doesn't mean anything. Now, here's a story that I've read, like I said, thousands of times. And there was something about this story that always bugged me. I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something about this story that bugged me. I'll show you what it is. The Holy Ghost revealed it to me and showed me something I'd never seen before. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed with purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he, speaking of the rich man, lift up his eyes and being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And a, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Now the rest of the story, I'm not going to read the rest of the story. That's when he says, then send somebody back to the earth to tell my brethren. And, and Abraham says, no, they've got Moses and the prophets and so forth. And Lazarus says, well, they, they don't need somebody that was raised from the dead. And, and that's a reference to Jesus. But this is the part of the story that always bugged me. Always bugged me. Now, you can teach a lot of great spiritual truths from this. First of all, Jesus did not say this is a parable. He said there was a certain rich man. It would be impossible to say there was a certain rich man or a certain beggar named Lazarus if it's a story. He says there was a man named Lazarus. There was a rich man. Now, what do we know about the rich man? We know that the rich man had plenty to eat. He wore the finest clothes. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. He fared sumptuously every day. What do we know about Lazarus? We know that he was a beggar. He was laid at his gate full of sores. So what's the rich man's life experience? He's got plenty. He's got plenty to eat. He's got great clothes to wear. You can imagine what goes from there. He's probably got a great house. He's got a gate that Lazarus is laid at. So that must mean some kind of dwelling place. We don't see anything about him being physically infirm. So he probably enjoyed good health to a certain measure anyway. We could assume to, to a certain degree at least. What do we know about Lazarus? We know Lazarus was a beggar. We know that he was full of sores. And we know that he desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. That says to me that he didn't have much success with getting food out of the rich man. Doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't say, and he ate from the rich man's table, or he ate the scraps from the rich man's table. It said he desired to. So what do we know about Lazarus? We know that Lazarus was impoverished. We know that he was physically afflicted. Right? So you got two different, two different extremes here. you got a rich man that's got plenty, you got Lazarus, who has nothing, and not only that, but he's physically infirmed. His body's full of sores and dogs came and licked him. Right? Now here's this part of the story that bugged me. And, and where the Holy Ghost says, or where Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 13, the Spirit of truth will guide you into all reality, he'll guide you into all truth. 
I now see that the thing that bugged me about this story was the religious thought that Abraham is justifying Lazarus was poor and infirmed here on the earth, and that's why he's comforted now. And the rich man, he had plenty, and that's why he's in hell now. It was this religious thought that I still, I had no idea there was still that seed left in me. But there's this religious thought of the worse you have it here on the earth, the better it's going to be for you in the afterlife. The better you have it here on the earth, watch out. It's this notion that it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Folks, I grew up with that in the Baptist church. They hammered that in the Baptist church that I went to. Hammered it. Used it to to gather offerings, to take offerings. Give, because you know it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. So buy your way in. Put money in in the bucket. That, nobody said that, obviously, but that's the implication. That's the religious notion that I grew up with, and I had no idea that that was still left with me. And that's what I got from Abraham saying, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime. Remember how it was in life. You had good stuff, and that's why you're tormented now. Lazarus had bad stuff, bad experiences, bad situations, and that's why he's comforted now. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Can I show you what the Holy Ghost showed me? Now, I'm going to have to preface that with this. 20, almost 25 years ago, not quite, but almost 25 years ago, the Lord spoke to me about believing Him for something financially. I don't want to tell you what it is. It would cause some of you a problem. But I know it wasn't my idea. I know I don't think in those terms. I know it's not anything that I would have come up with. It's something that I got in prayer. It's something that the Lord dropped into my heart, to some degree at least, and for 25 years, I've been believing God in a measure for what He put in my heart to do. And, and I know it's for the last days. That's one of the reasons why I keep saying, folks, God's going to do some spectacular things in the last days. Because I know what He spoke to me about 25 years ago. But over the last two and a half years, maybe, almost, maybe, well, get close to three years now, I guess, God has really been all over me about believing Him for this. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't get away from it. I've tried to get away from it. I've tried to say, Lord, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And it keeps slapping me back in the face. I cannot get... It's like flypaper. I've tried to get rid of it. I've tried to, to, to turn it loose. I've tried not to believe God for it and just throw it over on the mercy of God. Whatever your will is, Lord, I'll take it or not or whatever. And it won't go. It won't leave. So I know that I know that I know. Not important for you to know. It's not important for anybody else what you think about it or anybody else thinks about it. I just know. What can I tell you? I just know. Well, particularly over the last three years, the devil has done more and has uh, come at me about this area more than anything else. With this idea, you're just being greedy. With this idea, God doesn't really want that. That's not God. That's just you. With this notion that, uh, quote the scripture to me, just like the devil quoted scripture to Jesus. You ask and receive not that you, because you ask that you may consume it on your own lust. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of situations, different ways that the devil has attacked me over this thing. Now what I want you to understand, folks, is the Holy Ghost will guide you into the truth. I saw, driving down the road, I wasn't praying, I was listening to Christmas music. Minding my own business. Not bothering God not expecting Him to bother me. And the Holy Ghost guided me into something that I'd never seen before. Do you know what Abraham is saying? Notice verse 25. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things. What does Abraham call a good thing? What do we know about the rich man? He ate good, he dressed in the best, he lived in a good place, and he must have enjoyed some degree of health. Abraham said that's a good thing. Why would Abraham say that's a good thing? Because Abraham knows what covenant God made with him. Abraham knows that God made him very rich. Abraham is not saying in any way, in any fashion whatsoever, you had yours here on the earth. He says it's good stuff. Now, how rich was he? He says he was a certain rich man. How rich was he? 
How rich do you have to be for Jesus to say you are rich? I mean, what does that mean? If we put that in modern day terms, does that mean that, that he had less than a million dollars? Because if he had a million or more dollars, then Jesus would have said there was a certain greedy man. What does it mean? You're going to have to decide for yourself. As far as I'm concerned, rich means he had more than enough. Abraham said, son, remember that in thy lifetime, thou received thy good things. Now, what do you say about Lazarus? And Lazarus, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. What did Abraham say? Now, I know what the church says. I know what religion says. But what did Abraham say was evil stuff? Well, the only things we know about Lazarus is that he was impoverished and he was physically afflicted. Folks, remember that Galatians 3.13 and 14 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree, that or so that. Here's why Jesus did it. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. What does Abraham say the blessing is? Folks, you've got an eyewitness account of what the blessing of God is. Abraham said the rich man received good things. Well, then why does he go on and say... And now Lazarus is comforted and you're out there in the, in the tormenting place. Why does he say that? Here's what the Holy Ghost showed me that he's saying. Abraham is saying, son, remember how things were on the earth. You didn't care about Lazarus when he, you were here. Why should he care about you now? You know how we know? Because he goes further and says, and beside all this, he couldn't come to you if he wanted to. Abraham is not saying he's comforted now because of all the stuff that he suffered while he was here on the earth. Folks, that's not what gets you in, in the presence of God. Believing in Jesus is what gets you in the presence of God. It has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with your station in life. Rich or poor, it's faith in Jesus that makes the difference. Paul tells us that. He says in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter where you came from. Bond nor free. Doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free man. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters when it comes to being in Christ. Well, what does matter when it comes to being in Christ? Faith in God. That's it. So Abraham is telling us very clearly that even though the guy received the good things that would have been part of the blessing of Abraham, he must have trusted in himself regarding those things. Or else he wouldn't be in hell. Can you see that? The Holy Ghost, that made, that made every bit of difference for me. Every bit of difference for me. Every bit. Because, see, I'm believing for the, the blessing of Abraham, for the things that God spoke to me about 20, 25, almost 25 years ago. I'm believing for the blessing of Abraham. And the things that I've got to go back to are very simply, I know God spoke to me. I know it's something He put in my heart. It's not my idea. It's something He put in my heart. And the Bible says the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. That has to do with provision. God made Abraham rich and God's no respecter of persons. Now I've got Abraham saying so too. Eyewitness testimony. Now what's my point? My point is very simply this. The Holy Ghost guiding you into all reality. I've been very, very much conscious uh, over the last several months. I, I've always followed Brother Hagin's suggestion. Back in 1980, I first heard Brother Hagin say to take those prayers in Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul prays for the church that, the eyes, that, uh, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of their understanding being enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power that works in them as believers. I've always confessed those things daily. But over the last several months, man, those things are coming more and more alive for me. I mean, I'm really hammering home. And I'm not just praying it for myself. I'm praying it for my kids. I'm praying it for the church family. I'm praying it for a lot of folks. I'm seeing more and more in those prayers than I've ever seen before. I've always prayed them, but now my eyes are being enlightened. It's exactly what the prayer is is starting to happen for me in even greater measure than ever before. Now, folks, you may think I know the Word in, in, in some ways or in some areas. 
I haven't even scratched the surface yet. I've been at this for 30-something years, and I'm not even scratching the surface yet in some things. That's good news for me. i got a long way to grow. But these are the things that the more I focus on, the more I focus on. One of the things that, uh, one of the phrases that Brother Hagin used to use, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a biblical phrase, but it's a scriptural phrase. What I mean by that is you can't find a Bible verse that contains this, but you can find a Bible principle for it. Brother Hagin used to talk, talk to us about believing God for the spirit of seeing and knowing. He said here in John chapter 16, verse 13, where the Holy Ghost will show you things to come, he said that's the spirit of seeing and knowing. I've been hammering down on the spirit of seeing and knowing. And the more I do, the more I start to see. The more I start to see. Now, here's my point. Again, I'm, I, I keep getting off track, telling different details and, and, and that type of thing. But the point is very simply this, folks. The spirit of truth guiding you into all truth is always going to be God showing you the path to victory. So many times we, I think we struggle to try to have victory and we don't recognize that the Holy Ghost is, is, is ordained of God to show you the path. In many cases, I think we miss it because we try to figure it out ourselves. We try to figure it out. We try to figure out all this, that, and the other. We, got all in our, we get in our heads and, and, and try to come up with our own plans and, and that kind of thing. Folks, it, the Spirit of God is the on, on the inside. You're not going to find it through your thoughts. You're not going to find it through your feelings. Let me give you another example. I've, um, I heard, uh, again, I think it was in the early 80s, Dr. Roy Hicks tell a story about when he was ministering in the Philippines. Uh, whoever set up the, the ministry trip for him just worked him like a dog if you know what I mean. They had him preaching two or three hours in the morning, two or three hours in the afternoon, and two or three hours in the evening. There were like 500, 700 pastors, something like that, hundreds of pastors that came from all over the Philippine Islands and, and, uh, and other places as well, and, and uh, they just wanted to get everything they could from him. So they're just <laughs> working him, you know, bringing him food while he's talking almost. I mean, it was just, it was just a, uh, an unbelievable schedule. And so he said after the first couple of days, he started feeling really sick. And so he's believing God, trying to pray for his healing. He was over there for two weeks, if I remember correctly. He said he's believing God, claiming his healing and that kind of stuff. Prayed every prayer for healing. He knew how to pray. Just getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Finally, he got to the place where he said, Lord, something's, something's not working here. I, I don't know what to do. I need your direction. Show me what to do. And just very quietly, very calmly on the inside, the Lord said, use more salt with your food. What was happening is the change in humidity. It was so hot and humid over there. He's sweating out. He's dehydrating. He's sweating out everything. And that's what's causing him to feel nauseated and stuff. He said he, started, he, said he took salt saturated and just dumped it, you know, into his mouth and started trying to catch up. He said within just a matter of a couple of hours, he said, I was fine. Fine for the remainder of the trip. Now, folks, here's the point I want to, want to, to get across to you. The Holy Ghost wanted to lead him into victory all the time. But as long as Dr. Hicks is following his own path and his own plan, this is the way I've always done it before, this is the way I'm going to do it now, and so forth, without trying to get information from the Lord, the Holy Ghost sits back, sits back and lets you try it on your own. Now, if that's true, when, brother, when Dr. Hicks was trying to, to apply the Word to his situation, how much more true is that going to be when you and I try to apply our own thinking to a situation? Which is really what he was doing too. He's just applying his thinking to the Word rather than stopping and getting quiet and saying, okay, Lord... You didn't send me over here to get sick. What's going on here? I had, um, uh, it's been some time ago, but, um, uh, but I had some alarming symptoms uh, in my body. And uh, there, was some, uh, there was some bleeding and, and it, was, um, uh, it was excessive. And uh, you know how the devil is. The devil will tell you it's cancer. He'll tell you, you know, if you stub your toe, the devil will tell you that it's, you know, arthritis. If you have a headache, he'll tell you it's a brain tumor. It's just the way he does. He always tries to overblow everything. And so there's all these thoughts that were coming against me. Oh, it's cancer. And, oh, you know, you've never had this uh, um, procedure and, and checkup. And you, how long has it been since you've been to the doctor? And all these thoughts come to you and stuff like that. Folks, I don't take my car to the shop when it's running right. I don't go to the doctor when I'm feeling good. I just don't. I've got people all the time saying, oh, you've got to have those checkups. 
If I need to, I will. But if things are going right, I, I said that to one of my ward members one time. They said, yeah, but you get your oil changed. <laughs> a doctor is not going to go change my oil. That's just not going to happen. So anyway, I, you know, I go to the doctor when I need to and just, haven't, just don't need to. And so anyway, all these thoughts are coming. Oh, you've abused your body. You've done this. You've done that. You've done the other. And, and now you've got this cancer and this is going to be terrible and, and that kind of stuff. Well, it takes a while to quieten your mind down from all those things. It's like when you get a diagnosis from the doctor, you know, a, thou, a thousand and one thoughts will come against your mind. You've got to get yourself quiet before you can hear from God no matter what. So I got myself quiet, quieted myself down, prayed in, in tongues long enough to where I just didn't think much of anything. And then I just asked the question. Didn't bother answering before then, because if I'd asked before then, I wouldn't have been in a position to hear. But when I got myself to a place where I was quiet, I just said, Lord, what about this? And the Lord reminded me that I was taking some herbs that my wife gave me. <laughs> and just on the inside, I knew, back off those herbs. I backed off those herbs, never had another problem. Now, I could have run all over town getting the finest doctors everywhere trying to tell me what's going on. Or you can get the Holy Ghost that will lead you into the path of victory. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against doctors. If I need one, I'll go to one. I've had the Lord tell me to go to a doctor. I've told you the story about my knee. When I injured my knee and tore the cartilage in my knee, the Lord sent me to a doctor. He showed me the path to victory, and it, and, and it worked. My point is very simply this. Jesus is telling us, it's better for us that He go away. Why? Because the Holy Ghost will guide you into victory. He'll guide you into victory in every area. What time is it? Have I got time for one more? Let me give you one more real quick. The third area. The first area is He guides you into the Word. He'll show you the meaning of the Word. The very Scripture that, I, that is now one of the greatest victories for me that you can imagine used to be something that I was hung up on just a couple of days ago. Now, it's an open door to victory. The light has been exposed from my spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. From my spirit, I now see something that the darkness has been exposed. Now I can see the blessing of God. It all has, a, it, it, and piece by piece, one step after another step. The Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept. God will lead you one step at a time. The second way that God will lead you is He'll give you information. He led me into the path of victory for my body. Folks, there is no sickness that ever comes against you that the Holy Ghost won't show you the way out of. Ever. Please understand, the greater one has, is ordained on the inside of you to lead you into victory where your body is concerned, where your healing and your health is concerned. It's up to you to get quiet enough to hear Him and to believe that that's what He's going to do you got the Word to show you that. The third thing that I find that the Holy Ghost keeps dealing with me about, and again, this is all of these things are progressive over the last several years because of something that God is leading me toward. And that's love. If the Holy Ghost is going to guide you into all truth, and the Word is truth, and the commandment of the new covenant is love, doesn't it stand to reason that He's going to guide you into love? I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses 4 through 8, but I'm going to read from the Amplified. I like it from the Amplified because it, it just, it's just more real to me this way. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, it says, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. By the way, do you remember that the Bible says in Proverbs that only pride causes contention? It doesn't say pride is one of the things that causes contention. It says only pride causes contention. If you're in a contentious relationship, if you're in a contentious situation, pride's the problem. That's why love is such a key element. You get problems between husbands and wives, it's pride. Somebody doesn't want to let go. Somebody doesn't want to say, okay, we'll do it your way. Something. That's why love is such a key ingredient. Because it's not arrogant or inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly, and it does not act unbecomingly. Love, that is God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It doesn't say it doesn't have its own rights. 
doesn't say it doesn't have its own way. It says it doesn't insist on them. In other words, it's always willing to yield. Love does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. Do you know what that means? That means love doesn't have a hair trigger waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing to them. Love doesn't take everything somebody says personally and get their feelings hurt all over it. Now, folks, these things have been stomping on my toes for 30 years. There's a lot of this that's not much better today than it was 30 years ago for me. It hurts just as much now as it did then. Love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it and pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now, folks, this is the benchmark for love. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm pretty good about most of the other stuff. I'll walk in love. I'll hold my tongue. I'll keep a smile on my face. But my biggest problem is I keep score. Just being honest. I keep score. Listen, you can do me wrong. You can, you can use me. You can take advantage of me. You can do all those things, and I will look at you and tell you I love you with the love of the Lord, but I will always remember that you did it. That's just the way I'm made. That means I'm going to have to work on loving in that area harder than I am in some of the other areas. And I think we need to be wise enough to recognize what are our weak points in this definition of love. That's mine. Just, it just is. It's, that's mine. Along this same thing, the Lord showed me something that I hadn't let go of that I thought I'd let go of years ago. Just this week. You know the problem with praying that the, 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 for the spirit of wisdom and revelation? God really shows you stuff. <laughs> Now, Lord, I love that revelation about the Word. And I love that revelation about leading you into victory where my health is concerned and all that other kind of stuff. But could you leave me alone about this love stuff? That might be our attitude. That might be our natural desire. But if you're going to walk in the things of God, you're going to have to shore up in the area of love. Truly. And again, this is another religious thing. I thought if you had asked me point blank, have you let this go? If you knew about what was going on and, and what had happened, if you had asked me point blank, have you let this go? I would have said, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. But since I still knew the score, it means I hadn't. And that's what the Holy Ghost revealed to me. And he, he did it just that way. How long, is it gonna, how long are you going to go before you let that go? What do you mean? That's my first dodge. What? <laughs> Love takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Well, I'll put up with this so far, but after that I'm done. That's not what love does. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Now, folks, please realize these are, these are, this is from the Amplified, so these are not Paul's words, but it's an accurate relation or an accurate... Uh, um, it's, it accurately expounds on what Paul did say. Now, remember, the guy that wrote this is being persecuted by the Jews. The guy that wrote this is trying to be killed by the Jewish religious leaders. And he winds up saying, I'd give up my own salvation if Israel could be saved. Apparently, he put this in practice in his own life. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Well, we do that too, unless somebody crosses us. No, every person, whether they've done us wrong or not. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. Forgive me, Lord. That's tough. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. See, a lot of people put up with things because they have to. There's no way out for them. But love endures everything without weakening. 
Love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Folks, here's what I'm here to tell you. The Holy Ghost guides you. He bears witness with your heart. He leads you into the paths of victory in every area of your life. That's what He's ordained of God to do. You don't have to try to get Him to do it. It's His job. You just have to put yourself in a position to hear what He's leading you to do. You just have to get yourself in a position where you get quiet enough so that you can get away from all the the, the activity of the world and the feelings and the thoughts that we have about what's going on on our own so that you can hear He is leading. He's going to show you things that you need to correct. He's going to show you things. The path to victory always starts with you. Be nice if the path of victory was, well, you need to get away from that person, you need to tell that person off, and then the people at work need to really appreciate you for what you do. The path to victory always starts with you. Always. It may mean a change of thinking. It was with me. I had to change my thinking about Luke 16. That, that scripture had always bothered me. I've read that thing 50 times today. I love that passage now. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And always will. I'm here to tell you something. At the time that you will surrender and let God lead you wherever He wants you to go and not try to say, okay, Lord, I want you to lead me over here in my finances. And I'll let you lead me over here in healing. But the rest of the stuff over here, I'll take care of that myself. You get to the point where you really surrender and follow God with your whole heart. He'll lead you into a bigger and a better and a broader place than you have ever, um, would ever have imagined that He wanted for you. That's what the Holy Ghost is bearing witness in my heart. I believe that's true for you and it's true for me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege to surrender to the, to the guidance of the Holy Ghost. Thank you that the Spirit of truth guides us into all truth. He guides us into the Word. He guides us into love. And He guides us into the path of victory no matter what we're facing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you always do your job. Forgive us for the times that we've been so interested in our own thoughts and our own abilities, what we thought we could do, that we failed to listen to you. Lord, we thank you for your victory in our lives in a greater measure than we've ever thought, we've ever, and in some cases, ever even imagined. Thank you, Father, for making it so in these last days that we might finish the work that you've given us to do. Lord, open our eyes to the things that we need to let go of. Open our eyes to those things that we're holding on to, that spiritual immaturity that we're holding on to rather than growing up into the things that are important. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Father, for giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.